Hi, ladies. I'm Shelly Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team. And I have to tell you, Women in the Word is my happy place. I love being here with women who love to study the Word of God. Thank you for um, being here as we finish up this semester together. We're going to be back here in January with a great study in the Gospel of Matthew. So plan to be here when we start over again. You know, some of the most profound statements that our Lord Jesus Christ made when he walked on this earth are the final statements that he makes as he hangs from the cross. He actually spoke seven different times from the cross. The next to the last thing that he says before he gives up his spirit and returns to God the Father is, it is finished. It is finished. As he hangs there, just moments from his own death, Jesus makes a great and incredible announcement. He announces uh, for generations to come that the mission he's been given, the work that God the Father has put in his hands, has actually been completed. And what an accomplishment it is. What an accomplishment. Today we're going to talk about another man, another completed mission, as we celebrate our friend Moses, who calls on the Israelites in these couple of chapters to finally bring together all those pieces to the tabernacle that they have been working on so it can be built and assembled and our God can move into it right in their midst. Yes, the tabernacle is finished as well, and we're going to see today how both of these finished works, Jesus on the cross and our man Moses in the desert, are part of God's plan to dwell with his people forever. So let's read together and take a close look at this, beginning in verse 32 of chapter 39. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses. The tent, all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold, and its lamps with the lamp set and all its utensils, and the oil for the light the golden altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar, its grating of bronze, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of the meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. According to all the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. 
And Moses saw the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. It is finished. The work of the tabernacle is finished. I feel like we need to stand and applaud, actually. Uh, You know, in verse 32, as he starts out right here, give us a couple of great insights. And the first thing that verse lets us know is that this is a national project. This is a national project done solely by the nation of Israel as a people. Uh, There wasn't just one or two tribes. It wasn't just the Levites or the tribe of Judah that was chosen to participate. And it wasn't just Moses' trusted friends that participated in this. It was the whole nation coming together for this incredible project. This time, they're not slaves in Egypt turning straw into bricks for the Pharaoh's uh, pyramid, but they are a free people united by a common cause. And what an awesome cause it is to build a house for God to live right in your midst. Building the tabernacle has finally given Israel an identity as a nation. We see another thing in this verse as well. And we see that their unity has been expressed here in their obedience. In their obedience as a people, as a nation, they have willingly and with great zeal served the Lord God by doing all that he commanded. To highlight the truth that the people actually have in obedience done everything he commanded, we have that long sentence. That is one whole sentence that starts in verse 33 and goes all the way to verse 41. Uh, And Moses writes it on purpose. Because he wants a record of their obedience. He wants the world to know for generations afterwards that they did every single thing that God's blueprint commanded. If we compared it back, which I hope you did in your homework, to chapter 35, you would see that everything that was in the blueprint is now laid out here for Moses. And the fact that Moses actually listed it shows that their obedience was important to him, and certainly it was important to God. Just as God designed it, directed it, and assigned it, Israel did it. Israel did it. They fashioned it all. The tent, the supports, the pegs, the utensils, the garments of the priest. And you know, as I looked at this list from that one sentence, what was amazing to me is how many opportunities there would have been for them to leave out just one little thing or one little detail, um, something that was maybe difficult or challenging. They might have just, eh, I think I'll just uh, change this a little bit here. If you've ever had a building project of your own or done remodeling in your house, you know that as the work progresses, you really have to pursue that blueprint. You have to to dog on it and do it just exactly as it says. Because if you don't, this is what happens. The electrician comes in and because of the way the wiring is, he moves the switch just a little bit over on the wall. And then the carpenter comes in, and because the switch is moved, he moves the door just a little bit. And then 
the plumber comes in, and because the door is moved just a little bit, he moves the pipes just a little bit. The next thing you know, you have your bathroom sink in the living room. And that's exactly what happens if you don't follow the blueprint exactly. It's crazy how even those little bitty parts of not following the blueprint affect the whole project. That's not what happened here at Sinai. And Moses wants to make sure we know that. Not one piece of any design was changed. Nothing was taken away. Nothing was added. No one shortened a post or forgot to embroider one of those curtains. And to make sure of that, Moses is serving as the building inspector here. He is being vigilant. Every piece is brought out and laid out before Moses. That's what the text is telling us here. Can't you just picture Moses as he really looks at every single piece, as he runs his hand over every board for the frame to make sure that it's straight and exactly the right length, and then as he takes that Ark of the Covenant and inspects it to make sure it looks just like the blueprint he saw on Sinai? Now, you also know if you've had a building project that this is the most nerve-wracking part of any project. I can only imagine that the Israelites were a little bit nervous as they watched him pick up and handle and measure and count every single piece and lay those curtains out to look at the embroidery. You know, the building inspector, when he shows up, if you pass the inspection, he signs your card and the project moves on and all is well. When the building inspector shows up, if it's not done right, you get a red tag and everything stops until it's corrected. Um, and building inspectors are tough nuts, aren't they? They are fickle and hard to please. I don't know whether if that's how the Israelites saw Moses here or not, but I know they saw him as diligent and vigorously pursuing his inspection. Everyone holds their breath. One of my daughter-in-laws oversaw a remodeling project in her home a few years ago, and because she was overseeing it, she was the one that had to walk along beside the building inspector. The unique thing was she had a brand new baby and a toddler on one leg, and so every time the building inspector showed up, she had that crying newborn and the toddler, and guess what? He signed the card every single time. The guys on the job all declared, they were going to hire for their next job a harassed mom and a crying baby because that was how to get your card signed. I don't know whether the Israelite moms turned out here with their crying babies hoping to distract Moses, um, but they do get their card signed here. They do get their so card signed. In verse 43, we see that Moses validates all that they had done. And it says it um, down in verses 43, the nation of Israel has done everything God commanded. I think the people had to feel great satisfaction and pride and excitement. And I don't think it was just about the craftsmanship or about their hard work. I think when Moses signs off on their card here, that he's signing off on their great accomplishment of obedience. Their great accomplishment of obedience. As God's agent, Moses affirms on God's behalf 
that they have done it exactly how he commanded it. Not only have their hands been obedient in crafting every detail of these uh, pieces of the tabernacle, but their hearts have been obedient this time in submitting to God's blueprint. And as a result, what they get as a signed card is really a blessing. Moses pronounces a blessing on them. Uh, we don't know exactly what the blessing is because the text doesn't record it. But we do see similar blessings throughout the scriptures when uh, projects have been completed. We see that God speaks a blessing over his own completed project in Genesis 1.27. Look at your verse sheet. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God speaks a blessing over his own handiwork. And in Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, we see a blessing that God directs Aaron and his sons as priests to give Israel as they begin moving towards the promised land. Look at number 6 on your verse sheet. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Many theologians think that this blessing recorded here in number 6 is very similar to the one that Moses probably spoke over the people at the completion of the tabernacle. But we don't honestly know that for sure. What we do know about blessings is they don't control God or command God, but they are a way of calling on God to give benefit and favor to anyone that is blessed by him. And that's definitely what Moses does here. He asks for a divine stamp of approval on the nation of Israel because of their obedience. His blessing is God's divine signature on all of their work. You know, the tabernacle was built by God's blueprint, by God's power, by God's gifts, and by Israel's complete obedience to that blueprint. Israel's experience here with Moses as their vigilant building inspector is actually a good example to us today. It's the example that if we want God's blessing and pleasure over our life and work, then we have to be willing, just like the Israelites, to lay out our work beforehand, to lay out our work and our lives so the Lord can inspect it and bless it. Not only because we, want our, to, we don't want to work our way into God's favor, but we do want him to see our heart of obedience and bless that, just as he did for the nation of Israel. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's move on to chapter 40 and begin in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for the incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen 
for the door of the tabernacle, and you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting and place the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. So every single piece of the tabernacle is assembled and inspected. It's time to build. It's actually been almost exactly a year since the nation of Israel left Egypt. They left Egypt on the 14th day of the first month, the year before. So here it is. God is giving them instructions on what to do on the first day of the fourth month. Now, for nine months of that year, they've been camped at the base of Mount Sinai. And if you do your math, which we've been doing a lot of during this study, Moses spent 80 days of that nine months on top of Mount Sinai with God. So if you subtract that from nine months, that leaves them six and a half months to have completed the work right here, gathering the materials and working on the tabernacle. Now, they have been working for months, but Moses does not actually assemble and begin to build the tabernacle until God gives him direction to do so. Now, I can only imagine that the people along the way might have been anxious to begin assembling it as they had pieces of it. That's what I would have wanted to do. I would have said, let's put this piece of acacia wood in the base and let's get that pole up there and we can just hang these curtains right now. Uh, but with wisdom and with patience, we see Moses' obedience here because that's not what happens. As their leader, Moses waits for God's command before they assemble and begin to build the tabernacle. Um, look at what Psalm 37 says here. I think it's a great statement about the man Moses is. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. And certainly that's who Moses is, waiting for the Lord to direct his steps. Now, it also appears here from these verses that the building of the tabernacle takes place in one day. Now, the, to me, that is mind-boggling. I cannot imagine assembling this whole thing because it appears complicated to me. I cannot imagine assembling it all in one day. Um, and the question we all have is, does Moses do this by himself? And we don't really have an answer to that. Of course, supernaturally, God can do anything. He could have allowed Moses to do it in one day. But practically speaking, what probably happened is that Moses directs the Levites as his helpers to assemble the tabernacle because that is actually going to be their job from here on out. It's going to be the Levites that put it up and take it down and put it up and take it down and know what their job is. So um, Moses uh, very likely from day one begins the instruction process so that they would see how it happens from the very beginning. You know, nothing has been consecrated yet, so it would be all right for the Levites to handle it. And just think about how heavy some of those pieces of furniture had to be overlaid with gold, and um, they were not meant for one man to carry. Uh, so more than likely, the Levites were directed by Moses as they 
hung and assembled and carried the furniture. Now Moses' job here is important because his job is to make sure that it happens exactly as God has directed here in these verses. And beginning in verse 3, we see that God not only had a plan for what it was to look like, but he has a plan for how it goes together as well. He's very direct. He has Moses complete the Holy of Holies first. And you know, when we first began studying the tabernacle, we started by looking at the Ark of the Covenant first. That's where he has Moses go for the construction and the assembly is inside the Holy Holies, placing the uh, testimony inside the Ark. I imagine that's something Moses may do himself, not trust it to the Levites. And then he has him hang the veil. And after he hangs the veil, he has him head to the holy place where he puts out the table of showbread and the lampstand. And then he has him place that altar of incense, just like we studied in front of the veil next to the mercy seat where God himself will reside. The last thing he has him do is move to the courtyard where he puts in the uh, bronze altar and the uh, laver for washing. And then he has him to put up the perimeter. And the very last thing we see him do here is hang the veil that is the gate into the courtyard. So Moses not only had these great plans for all these pieces, but God himself directs exactly how the construction is going to go. Now, along with that construction plan, God also has a plan for uh, getting this house completely ready for him to move in. You know, on a construction site, the very last thing they do is what? They clean it. They sweep it. They haul away the construction trash. Now, there's not any construction trash on this building site. But God does have a final step of preparation. He knows that his house needs to be set apart as holy before he moves in. So read with me beginning in verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. And you shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become holy. You shall anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate it. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of the meeting and wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anointed their father that they may serve me as priests and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout the generations This Moses did according to all the Lord had commanded him. You know, this truly is God's house. It's different from every tent in this huge camp where the Israelites are currently living. And actually, it's different from every other structure that's ever been on our earth because God's presence is going to dwell right there. This is where he's going to meet his people. This is where God's people will present their sin sacrifices. The specially blended oil that we studied a few weeks ago is what's used to anoint and consecrate everything in the tabernacle. 
You remember we learned it wasn't ever to be used any other place or on any other thing. And anointing, uh, if you recall, symbolizes cleanness and purity. It symbolizes setting apart whatever it is for a holy God. Everything in this tabernacle had a sacred purpose, a sacred purpose that was committed to the worship and service of a holy God. God directs Moses here to anoint not only the structure and the furnishings, but his priests as well. That's going to take place after the structure is set up and anointed. And then Misty talked with us a couple of weeks ago about this ceremony where the priests are anointed. And what's important here in these verses is that Moses points out this is the beginning of the priesthood for the nation of Israel. This priesthood, it's a significant moment for Israel because these priests are going to continue as mediators between Israel and God for generations to come. And it's at that moment when Moses anoints Aaron and his sons. So Moses has received all the final instructions for the assembly and the consecration of the tabernacle, and he sets to work. And we see in verse 16 that that's exactly what he does because he does everything as God commanded him. Now, from verse 16 to verse 34, we see that phrase, as the Lord commanded Moses seven times. We're not going to read all these verses, but just drop your eyes down to verse 19. What is it? say, as the Lord commanded Moses. In verse 21, what does it say? As the Lord commanded Moses. In verse 23, as the Lord commanded Moses. And the same thing is said in verses 25, 26, 29, and 32. Obviously, there's a theme here, isn't there, ladies? Running through this, Moses finishes the work laid out before him in that blueprint on Mount Sinai months before without challenging, without changing, and without refusing to do what God was asking him to do. On this final day, the tabernacle is erected piece by piece, and Moses follows through, working from the inside out, just as the Lord commanded, beginning with putting that testimony in the ark, and then hanging everything, putting the furniture in place, putting out the water in the washing basins, and putting that door on the courtyard. I have to tell you, I'm in awe of this guy. I am in an awe of him. And for I love Moses for a lot of things, but as I studied the tabernacle, I'm in awe of Moses because he's a finisher. He is a finisher. And his, he follows through with every command of God to the end. And his success as a finisher is really the result of just two simple things. Listening to God and then following every single one of his instructions. I've loved all the lessons we've had in the past weeks from the tabernacle. From the blueprint to this very final day. Can you imagine how Moses felt when he first saw on Mount Sinai that blueprint to the tabernacle, I would have felt, are you nuts? You think these crazy golden calf building people are going to finish this whole thing? This is pretty complicated, Lord. I would have been overwhelmed. I would have been saying, not out here in the desert. That's not who Moses is, thankfully. Um, he's a finisher. 
And that's actually the lesson he gives us today as we finish the tabernacle. He gives us the lesson that finishing well, doing whatever work God places in our hands, whether it's on our jobs, in the marketplace, whether it's raising our children, or whether it's something just as simple as doing your Bible study homework every single week. Finishing well requires a discipline. It's a discipline. It's the discipline of listening to God, which we see takes a lot of time because Moses listened to God for 80 days on that mountain. It takes the discipline of listening to God and then following his instructions. And this discipline in Moses' life is why verse 34 here says, Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. Being a finisher in God's economy means we don't drop out, we don't give up, we don't make our own plan that is easier than his. We listen to God. We follow his blueprint. And he's given it all to us right here, hasn't he? He's given us his blueprint for our lives that we can listen to and follow. And when we do that, We're going to be finishers just like Moses. You know, there's another great finisher in the scriptures that I love as well, and that is the Apostle Paul. He was a finisher, and look at what he says in 2 Timothy 4.7. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And because Moses is a finisher... God has a house to move into now. He has a house to move into. He doesn't have to do any uh, revisions in order to get in there. So let's see what happens in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the houses of Israel throughout their journey. Now, this is the same cloud that we're reading about here that protected and guided the Israelites beginning in Exodus 12. And it's the same cloud that has hovered over Mount Sinai as they've been camped at the base. It's the same cloud that would move from Mount Sinai to the small tent where Moses has met with God during the last year. This cloud is the way that God has chosen to manifest himself among his people and to Moses during their time in the wilderness. He's an invisible God. He's not a carved statue or a golden calf, is he? And this cloud is the visible symbol of our invisible God out there in the wilderness. I read um, one of the things I was reading actually said that a cloud in the desert of Sinai was considered a divine blessing because the sun beat down mercilessly in Sinai on every single thing and a cloud offered shade and protection from the sun. 
This was a, a more than just an offering of shade from the sun, wasn't it? This was a divine manifestation of the overwhelming presence and blinding glory of God. And this cloud that contains that presence and glory of God actually settles down on that tabernacle as it's completed. We have a great picture of that this morning that um, we can put up here on the screen. That's phenomenal, isn't it? That's exactly, I think, what it must have looked like as the glory of God entered that tent and hovered over the mercy seat. Now, the text says that Moses wasn't able to enter that tent when the glory settled on it. And we don't know exactly why, but there are a couple of possible uh, explanations for that. Uh, many theologians felt that the explanation was that even though Moses had met with God and seen his glory many times on Mount Sinai up till now, um, the thought was when God moved into the tabernacle for the first time that this manifestation was, excuse me, so bright and so intense that Moses would not have been able to survive if he had entered it. Along with that, there was another explanation that uh, as God first moved into the tabernacle, that he wanted to establish that this was his holy and sacred residence, um, that God didn't really want any roommates, and he wanted that perfectly clear that Moses did not have a key to the tabernacle. So even Moses was not allowed to enter although later we will see Moses go into the tabernacle. Now, there can't be anyone's mind as they view that incredible manifestation of the glory of God shining over the tabernacle that God is dwelling in the midst of his people. No one could doubt that. It is this God that has freed them from bondage in Egypt. He's made a covenant with them to protect them and guide them and prosper them. And now... The greatest blessing they can have is that he is dwelling in all of his glory in the midst of their camp. As Israel continues their journey towards the land that God has promised them, God's glory is not only going to be a guide for them, it's going to be a light to every single nation they encounter. Can you imagine being a passing caravan? And seeing that incredible picture of God dwelling in the midst of this camp, every caravan that passes, every nation that attacks them, every neighboring tribe is going to see that picture of God right in the center of Israel. It was going to be impossible for everyone they encounter not to understand that they are a different people. They are a different people, that their God was living and powerful, that guided them and cared for them and protected them. And you know, as we sit here today, our hope is that God's glory is just as bright in our lives and his presence is just as visible as we journey through our lives, that people understand as well, that they should look at our lives and see that God lives in us that God loves us, that God guides us, that God gives us peace and courage in the midst of every storm. 
If you've been with us uh, here at Christ Chapel as we've done the roots study for the Reformation for the last few months, it was so clear to me as we studied these amazing men, God's glory did shine out from the life of Martin Luther and John Knox and William Tyndale. Even in their adversity and their trials, no one doubted that their lives were different because God lived in them. The light of God's glory must shine out from our lives so that the whole world knows him. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 on your verse sheet. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And Matthew 5, 16, <clears throat> in the same way, let your light shine out before others so that they may see you give good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The tabernacle gives us that great picture that we should let the world see God in the midst of our everyday lives as well. Okay, so it's finished. God's dwelling place is finished. Moses has erected it, inspected it, and God has moved into it. Um, the tabernacle may be finished, but one thing we know is that God's plan is not. God's plan is not finished right here with the tabernacle, is it? God's whole plan is not just to be that pillar of fire in the middle of that camp in the desert of Sinai. God's whole plan is to dwell in the hearts of his people forever. The tabernacle, the tabernacle is merely a visual representation of what God's future blueprint is going to look like through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the tabernacle, there were altars and there were sacrifices and there was blood to cover the sin of the people every single day so they could have a relationship with that holy God that resided in a tent in their midst. But it's at the cross, actually, ladies, where the words from Jesus' own lips, it is finished that truly tells the whole story of God's desire to dwell with his people. Because it was at the cross, not at the tabernacle, that the final sacrifice was made. Where sin was atoned for once and for all, not with the blood of oxen or with goats, but with the blood of the Lamb of God. Look at 1 John 1.29. Look at John 1.29 on your verse sheet. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was at the cross where Jesus, through his own blood, made our reconciliation with God possible. We saw the veil into the Holy of Holies torn at the crucifixion so that we now have complete access to God. Look at Matthew 27, 51. This is at the moment of Jesus' death. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it was, it was at the cross that Jesus finished his work, just as Moses had finished his work in the desert. You know, Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial death. He served as our sin substitute. He reconciled each one of us in this room back to God. And he made it possible for God to dwell not just in a tent in our midst, but in each of our hearts forever through faith. Look at Ephesians 3.17. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and how to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When Moses finished the tabernacle, God filled it with his glory. What a great picture that is. But when Jesus finished his work on the cross, each of us, each of us through faith can be filled with the Holy Spirit forever. We are his tabernacle. And it is finished indeed. First the tabernacle in the desert and then the tabernacle of our hearts. Look at Hebrews 3, 5 and 7. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are God's tabernacle today. Pray with me. Father, you're... um, Just a great and a gracious God. What an incredible opportunity this is to have the truth of your word, to know that you built that tabernacle in the desert to point us to the truth that you want to live in our hearts forever. And Father, I thank you that our Lord Jesus is the one that did that work on the cross and that by faith, through grace, we can have you in our lives and live with you uh, for an eternity in heaven. I thank you for these women, Lord, for their faithfulness and their obedience in the last 11 weeks to study the truth of his word together. Would you put your hand of favor on them, Lord, and give them your divine blessings? Um, Be with us until we return in January. And I pray this in the name of your son, our great Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.